to the Word of God. We love your Word. We thank you for your Word, Lord. We, we love your presence. And we love, you know, being in your presence. We love things like the gifts and, and all of that. But, Lord, the anchor in our lives is your Word. And, Lord, I thank you for the power of your Word. And I pray as we share this tonight, Lord, I'm asking you there be a mighty anointing upon this Word tonight that you'll speak through me. Lord, your words of life, and it'll be like living seeds of truth. And Jesus talked about the parable of the seeds and sower. Lord, let this go out, Lord, in a good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives that's been made ready by your precious Holy Spirit, and that the Holy Spirit will water those seeds in people's lives and help them to take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. And Lord, I also pray that by your awesome Holy Spirit that you would captivate us. Help us, Lord, to give you our best ear tonight, our focus. Our minds to not wonder, but our minds to be focused on what you're speaking. Our eyes to be locked in, our ears to hear, our hearts to be in tune. Lord, that we will really um, be locked into what the Holy Spirit is speaking through the Word tonight. And, and Lord, Jesus said that, um, you know, that we have eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, help us, anoint our eyes and ears. Help us to have those, those spiritual eyes and ears to be able to perceive your voice and what you're speaking. Let your word go out. Let there be a washing of the water of the word. Lord, let there be light of truth that shines out and dispels all the darkness, lies, evil, and deception of the enemy and brings light, revelation, and truth. Let your word go out in great power and accomplish everything you sent it forth to do, Lord. Let the winds of your spirit carry this seed everywhere it's supposed to go and your holy angels will watch over the word of God to make sure that it's gonna, everything's going to be accomplished. God's will be done. We bind the enemy and break his power. Command to go now. In Jesus' name, from every person that's going to be hearing this. And Lord, we pray for your revelation and truth in Jesus' name. Amen. So there was this man that was driving down the road. And um, he was remarking about the beautiful uh, tan-colored, kind of yellowish-colored flowers on the side of the road. And his wife was just sitting there. She said, honey, they're white. And uh, he's going along and... You know, he says, no, they're not. <laughs> they're like a tan color. And they kept going, and she's kind of laughing. She says, no, dear, they're, they're white. They're about as white as it can be. And he's pretty emphatic about it, and she just steadily is laughing more and more. And she says, she says sweetheart, if you take off your sunglasses, look at them. And uh, he just kind of, his head goes down, he takes off his sunglasses. They're as white as can be. But he saw, he was seeing them through tinted vision. And unfortunately... That is a rampant problem in the body of Christ. I mean, it's bad. That people have this, these glasses, if you will, of religion and the doctrines of men and things that have distorted their, their vision of God's word. And because of that, um, they see things incorrectly. And sometimes God has to come in and help to take off those blinders so people can simply just see the truth. And so just keep that in mind. And I'll encourage you to pray this. Always pray, God, get out of me, burn out of me any pet doctrines, any traditions of men, anything that's religious but it's not you things that I've been taught, things that I, I thought on my own, things that the way I, maybe I was raised, but things that have distorted my vision from the truth 
Lord, purge all that junk out of me and help me to see the truth the way you see it. Amen? That's a good prayer for all of us to pray. So keep that in mind as we go through this communion and Hebrew Roots series that I'm doing. Last week I talked about Purim and talked about the God of Breakthrough. But see, some people have never heard teaching like that. They've never known that God, that you can go before him also as a judge and get great breakthroughs. But it's a huge thing. It's a huge issue in the body that we need to know these things. So anyway, I'm going to talk tonight about a deep consecration unto God. And I pray God will really do a work in all of us. Let me say, whatever you do, do not miss next week. Seriously, we only do this a couple times a year. We're going to have a night where we really consecrate our lives unto God. We're going to have those that want to get um, water baptism, get immersed, we'll have water baptism. But it's going to be a night of deeply consecrating our lives unto God. And I'm strongly encouraging people, whatever you got to do, get here. Don't let the devil steal that, okay? All right. So here's a couple things that God laid on my heart tonight. Number one, we need to become more heavenly-minded and eternal-minded. That's been on my heart as I've been doing this series is to talk a lot about that because we need to become more heavenly minded. So many people get so caught up with the here and the now. The truth of the matter is, but for the grace of God, we'll be alive a week from now. We don't know what tomorrow holds. I mean, let's be honest about it. And so we need to be living every day. What if the Lord really was to come back in a week? What are we doing now that's going to matter in eternity? What would it be like if the whole body of Christ thought to themselves, you know what, I'm going to live this week like it's my last week on earth. I'm going to think about what matters to Jesus, what's the most important things. And yes, you would be about the Father's business, but you'd also be about things with your family, spend quality time with your family. But the things that don't matter, you would be ignoring those things. And you'd be focusing on the things that really will matter in eternity. Think about that. Let's begin to pray that way and think that way. It's like I talked about, I believe it was Leonard Ravenhill put that eternity on his ceiling. He, and he deliberately put it in his office above his head to where every time he had any decisions to make, he'd lean back in that chair, his head would go back, and he'd see eternity. And he'd think, you know, what really matters in eternity? What's going to matter, you know, 100 years from now? What's going to matter when I see Jesus? A lot of the things we get caught up with here are not going to matter. Number two, so keep this in mind because all this plays into this whole series that I'm talking about. Number two is a holy fear of God. Proverbs 9, 6 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And Duncan Campbell, as I just read that earlier, um, talked about the fear of the Lord. Okay, when we talk about our Hebrew roots, we get back to the foundation that true biblical Christianity is rooted in. Unfortunately, most of the body of Christ has their root system still, that it goes back to Catholicism. That's rampant. And I know you guys know that. And so that's why there's so many things that aren't quite connected the way they need to be. Because the Catholic Church, which is not true biblical Christianity at all, never really has been. I'll have to teach on that another time. But it's always tried to disconnect from the Hebrew roots and was very adamant about it. They were very anti-Semitic. The Catholic Church believes they've replaced Israel. And one of the things that you can see, and it, it's sad to see, but here we've got Passover coming up in a few weeks. But yet, the body of Christ celebrates what they call Easter a few weeks ago. And you see this huge disconnect 
from the Hebrew roots, whereas Easter should be the same as Passover because it's all about the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord. That's what it's supposed to be about. And in the biblical times in the early church, it was Passover. See, the Catholic Church came in later and said, we're not going to have anything to do with any of these, the Hebrew stuff, the Jewish stuff. We'll get rid of all that. We're going to completely disconnect from that, and we're going to create something altogether different. But see, the early church under the Lord they would have celebrated Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection connected with Passover, and that's just the way that it was. And so, unfortunately, we've got two calendars, and we've got this major disconnect. And one of the things that, that is so strong in our Hebrew roots of the faith is a holy fear of God. And I'm concerned because a lot of the body of Christ is very flippant. They're very flippant about sin. <coughs> I encourage you to read the Bible for yourself. Read Matthew 7, 21 for yourself. Take off all the sunglasses that people have tried to tell you. Take off all that preconceived stuff, all those pet doctrines, all, the, all that religious garbage, and read the Bible for yourself what it actually says. What's going to matter, Jesus said there's going to be people, it's the words of Jesus that come to him on judgment day and say, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We, we pray for the sick and they were healed. We cast out demons in your name. You can't cast out demons unless you have some kind of a relationship with the Lord to some degree. Because in the Bible, in Acts chapter 19, um, the apostle Paul, uh, rather there was a Jewish chief priest and there was the seven sons of Sceva trying to cast a demon out of a guy. There was eight of them, one guy. And the demon-possessed man, superhuman strength, jumped, jumped on him and gave him a pretty good beat down. And they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. And there was a fear of God that came. My point is, is that you can't cast out demons unless there's some kind of a relationship with the Lord. So this is Matthew seven twenty one, And Jesus said to those people, many will say to me on that day, Lord, we did all these things. But yet Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you, number one. Number two, you practice lawlessness, which means you lived in unrepentant sin. And see, people want to get this, this strange teachings that basically says this. You can live however you want to live, and you're still going to be in the pearly gates one day. That's not the way it works. I don't care who's told you that. If you believe that, you have set under a false teacher somewhere, a false prophet spirit. Somebody has lied to you. You cannot live however you just want to live, live in total sin, I don't care if you call yourself a Christian. If you're comfortable living that way, you're not saved. And that's just the way it is, okay? And so there needs to be this holy fear of God come back to the church where people have a fear of God and realize, you know, I can't just play games with this. I can't trample on the blood of Jesus like this. I can't mock what he did on Calvary. What's the point of him coming and dying for our sin if we're just going to live however we want to and live in the very things he died for? What was the point? If you can go to heaven living like a ranked sinner, then why did Jesus even come in the first place? It makes no sense. It's not even rational. Jesus didn't come and die so that we can live like a bunch of heathens. He came and died so we could be holy. We could be righteous. We can have a new nature. We can be a new creation. And I'm getting all worked up tonight. But this is the Hebrew roots of the faith. There's a holy fear of God. You see that. When, I mean, and that's what we need in the church. I, I'm concerned, and I say this out of a deep concern and a love. 
but I am very concerned by things that I see. People are way too comfortable living worldly and living in sin, and they think on the other side of this life everything's going to be okay because they've got those sunglasses on, they've got some false teachers somewhere that's told them, you know, you're fine like you are. Everything's going to be okay. That's not the way it works. My favorite scripture about that, I think, is 1 John 3, 7 through 10. If the seed of God abides in you, you cannot live in sin any longer. God changes who we are. Amen? He gives us the grace to overcome. What we couldn't do before, now we can by the power of God living in us. We were powerless against sin before Jesus, but after him, the Spirit of God lives in us, and he gives us the grace to overcome. All right, and the other thing that I want to say, just a prelude to this, I want us to become more heavenly-minded. I want there to be more of a holy fear of God, not only in River of Life, but in others, that people are not flippant about the things of God. But number three, you know, we pray for revival, but I want you to realize that with revival comes revival preaching. And revival preaching will cut you down to the core, man. It will get to your innermost thoughts and being. It will cut you deep. And you will realize, man, I need to repent. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? How many of you guys ever sat under Steve Hill's preaching? I don't know how many times I got saved, right? But it will cut you to the core, man. You realize that you are not everything you thought you were. You may come in there all high and mighty, but you get in the presence of God and you sound like Isaiah, woe is me. A man of unclean lips, oh God, forgive me, show me mercy, you know. And that's revival. That's when the Spirit of God comes in. And you know what happens? God will convict of sin. Man, there'll be a cutting down to the core of who you are. You'll get on your face. But what happens after the cleansing is comes the joy. All throughout history, you read about great revivals. People would sit there and weep and wail. I used to hear that in Brownsville, man. You, you could hear all those people in the altars. They were wailing unto God. And they'd weep and wail, God, have mercy on me. God, forgive me. I'm such a sinner. And they would go through that process there. But on the other side of it, you would hear them later as they're getting baptized. This is better than any drug I ever had. This is the greatest thing that ever happened to me. And why? Because it went from that conviction and that deep repentance to the joy of the Lord. But see, a lot of people want to bypass that. We need that. That's the healthy process of God, that there's that holy fear of God that cleanses our lives. But then it turns to the joy of the Lord. It comes to that that relationship with him. And I believe that's why John said that perfect love drives out fear because it begins where there's this holy fear of God. There's this deep repentance. God's doing a deep work in us. But on the other side of that, you begin to fall in love with the Lord. (coughs) You no longer are are fearful of the judgment so much as you're so in love with him that you, you fear the fact, that I, don't, I don't want to do anything to mess up this relationship. And it, it goes from that fear into a love relationship. But that's a healthy process. See, people want to bypass the process of God. It's a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. And then comes the joy of the Lord. Does everybody here know what I'm talking about? And see, you just want to jump through that and say, well, you know, you're just saved, you're good as you are. And people, there's never, that, there's never those tears before God. There's never that repentance There's never that heartfelt work that God's doing in their life to cleanse and purify them. And they don't really know the true joy of the Lord. 
And when revival comes, revival preaching comes, and people really start getting right with God. They really get the sin out. And here's some things that you'll hear in revival preaching. Revival will shake things like denominations and man-made structures big time. It will shake and it will challenge and it will deal with politics in the church. Where man's control was there, where people are structuring out God and structuring out the Spirit of God, it will challenge that. And it will really rock some people's world because what they thought was of the Lord, they realized the whole time it was just something of man. It will deal with false discernment. All of a sudden, where things have not been right, God will expose it. And there'll be great breakthroughs. Where, where there was hidden sin, it will be exposed. Where people were prideful and arrogant. And that's the thing that, that is most concerning, is pride. And pride will be dealt with in revival. Either people will really repent and be humble, or they'll run out and say, I don't want anything to do with this, but pride will be dealt with. But that false discernment where people are naive, and they're just following anything. I've seen where people don't have any true discernment from God. I've seen that a lot. And because of that, they think, well, you know, the crowds are here. The, uh, you know, there's so much excitement about this. Surely everything's fine, but it's not. And they're just following a crowd. They don't have any real discernment to know for themselves if something is of God or not. They don't really know the word for themselves. They really don't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. They're like naive sheep that just kind of go with a crowd. And these things will be challenged in revival. So here's what I wanted to get to. A deep consecration unto God. There's a difference between just being born again and being deeply consecrated unto God. I believe that everybody in River of Life knows that. And most people that will hear this knows the difference. There's people that accept the Lord, but they still got a lot of baggage in their life. They still got a lot of stuff. And God needs to set them free from their past. Sin can still have power over some people. They need the power of that thing broken off their life. They need to be deeply cleansed and set free. And that's something that I believe God has really called my wife and I to, is to help in this area. So as we deal with communion in Hebrew roots, I'm going to go back and show you some things here. But in 2 Timothy 2.19, it says, Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows who are his. I mean, knows not everybody that sits in a church pew are his. But God knows. He knows the tares from the wheat. They all look the same. They all dress the same. They all sing the same songs. But God knows which ones are wheat and which ones are tares. He knows their hearts. And everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Hello, I said that earlier. That's what concerns me. People are playing with stuff. Now in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and earthenware, some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. So we have the choice when we accept the Lord that we can abstain from wickedness, we can repent, we can let the Lord cleanse our lives, 
and we can become vessels of honor for God's use. Why don't you picture what Paul's saying here? He's saying that some Christians, there'll be all these Christians in the church, and some of them are really cleansing their lives. They're really going after God. They're hungry and on fire for him, and they're really repenting of anything they need to. And because of that, they become like silver. They become like gold. They're pure vessels. And God looks at them and says, now that's somebody I can use right there. They're vessels of honor. And then he looks over and sees other people that are still playing games with the world. They're still carnal in a lot of ways. They're not really right. They haven't really cleansed their life. And they're like the the earthenware. They're like the vessels of wood and the vessels made of clay. And God still loves them, but he can't do much with them. There's a difference. And that's one of the reasons why my wife and I have made this deliverance questionnaire and we encourage people and most people have the wisdom to go through that most people not everybody but most people have the wisdom to go through the deliverance questionnaire and really cleanse their life you know i've been in ministry a lot longer than my wife and i think that some some things have really shocked her i'll be honest with you and one of the things i hope she doesn't mind me sharing this but one of the things she said that really shocked her in the ministry But she said that she's seen some people will really go after God with all their heart. But she said she's been really shocked at the number of people that won't. And they know that there's stuff in their life that's not right and they will not deal with it. She's really been shocked about that and very disappointed in that. Now, I'm not shooting at anybody here because by and large, I think River of Life is the exception. But she's been shocked at how many people know that there's stuff in their life that's not right. They know that they can be free from it. They know that they can get cleansed of it, and they just go on their merry way and never do a thing about it. But anyway, the importance of what we have with that deliverance questionnaire to go through and examine your life and examine your family, examine what's passed down the bloodline, and really get cleansed from all that baggage and all that garbage. See, here's how it is. If you look at those three circles there. On the left you see unclean. These are people that are not Christians. And then in the middle you see clean. These are people that are Christians. So by virtue of the fact they've accepted Christ. They're they're pardoned for their sin. And they're a child of God. But then you see the third circle over there. And those are the ones that have gone above and beyond that. And have really cleansed their life. And really become a consecrated vessel unto God without any blemish. They've really let the Lord purge them of any defilement. See, when you read the book of Revelation, you see Jesus throughout there. He's dealing with the seven churches. And he says, I have this against you. To almost every one of them. But then he says, but if you'll repent, I'll do this, this, and this. And he says, to those that overcome. That's the phrase. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live my life and then one day have to stand before the Lord and not have been somebody that overcome all the junk. I want to be somebody that overcame my past, overcame whatever was in my family bloodline, overcame whatever I needed to overcome so that I could become a vessel of honor, somebody that God could use. And so people that have filled out those questionnaires and have come to us and we've walked them through and they've repented, they've got cleansed of all their sin, cleansed of all the junk, and God has set them free. And many times people have told me afterward, I feel so light, 
I feel so different. I feel so free. Now consider in the Old Testament, consider Leviticus 8 through 10. How Aaron and his sons were consecrated. Now think about this for a minute. Aaron and his sons, they were circumcised Jews. They were God's people at that time. Okay, they were God's people. So in essence, by the fact that they were circumcised and they were Jewish, that at that time, the way God was moving, they were God's people and they were declared clean because of that to a point. But think about it for a minute. Even though they were circumcised and they were among God's people, the work that God had to do to set them apart. Look at this. This is the example, and you can read about Leviticus 8 through 10. Consider how Aaron and his sons were consecrated to serve God as priests in place where his awesome presence dwelled. They had to be immersed in water. Their hands and their feet had to be washed. They were arrayed in holy garments and anointed with holy anointing oil. They had to have the blood applied to their lives. Next, they had to lay their hands on the sin offering and the burnt offering. The blood of these animals was applied to the altar. The altar had to be cleansed. The third animal was killed. It was a ram of their ordination. The blood of that animal was applied to their right ear, representing a thought life. Their right thumb, representing the works of their hands. Their right big toe, representing their walk before God. The blood of these sacrifices had to be mixed with the anointing oil and sprinkled on the priest and on their garments. The flesh of the ram was then waved as a wave offering unto the Lord and burned upon the altar. The priest ate the meat of the ram ordination and unleavened bread before the altar. They had to remain in the tabernacle in God's presence for seven full days. God was deeply consecrating them unto him. Even though they were circumcised Israelites, they still had to go through a deep consecration unto God's service. Think about that for a minute. The process of being deeply cleansed unto God. Set apart as people that can come into God's presence, to be able to go into the holy place and burn incense in the presence of God. That's the Old Testament pattern. Everything in the Old Testament is a shadow of things to come. And it is, in essence, in the natural, what Israel had in the natural, we now have in the spiritual, we have the fullness in Christ, the reality. That's why Hebrews 10.1 says the law is a shadow of the good things to come not the reality themselves. In 1 John 5, 7, it says there are three that testify, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three in agreement. So think about with Aaron and his sons, they had to have the spirit, the blood, and the water. There had to be a cleansing of blood, there had to be a washing of water, and there had to be an anointing with oil, the spirit of God. There had to be three things applied to their lives to be deeply consecrated unto God. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been able to go into the holy place and minister before him. And that's the Old Testament pattern of what we have the reality of today in Christ. And one of the ways that the blood is applied to our lives, the blood is applied by faith. But I believe today one of the more powerful ways you can apply the blood to your life is through the communion table, which I did several sermons about that. If you didn't hear those, I recommend that you do. Number two, the power of the anointing with oil and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. How many knows that there's something powerful going on whenever you anoint somebody with oil and pray over them? It's a powerful thing, okay? But also the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will cleanse us and sanctify us and do a work in us that is so deep and so powerful. 
The third thing is the power of water immersion, which I'll do a sermon on that next week. But man, the power of immersion, it's an awesome thing. And I believe also even the ministry of God's holy angels help to cleanse God's people, minister to them. But 1 Peter 1, 2, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkle with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. But there's a sanctifying ministry of the Holy Spirit. It was interesting to me in the Azusa Street Revival that William Seymour, even though he saw the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he saw power and he saw the, the speaking in tongues and all that. When I read his teachings, what he talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he talked more about the sanctifying work that would take place, which I thought was really amazing to me because I was thinking most people put the emphasis on the tongues and the gifts. Some people put the emphasis on the power, which is more of my line of thinking. We're clothed with power. But William Seymour put more of the emphasis on the sanctification that would happen in a person's life. That how they lived before they were baptized in the Holy Spirit was no longer how they lived after they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit did a work in them, cleansed them. In Zechariah 3.1, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. You remember last week's sermon. Satan is an accuser of the brethren. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua, this was a priest named Joshua, not the guy that conquered Canaan, okay? Joshua the priest was clothed with filthy garments standing before the angel. And see, Satan was accusing him because his garments were dirty. Here he was supposed to be a priest, but he was defiled. He was unclean before God. And Satan was accusing him. But the Lord rebuked the devil. In verse 4, he spoke and said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. Again, he said to him, See, I have taken your iniquity away from you and clothed you with festive robes. These were holy priestly garments. Then I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments while the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying, Now think about it. Joshua's standing there. He's supposed to be a priest. He's supposed to be somebody that goes into God's presence, but he's dirty. And because he's defiled like that, Satan is accusing him to God. But God had a belly full of it and said, The Lord rebuke you, Satan, and spoke to those angels and told them, Take off those old dirty garments and put some clean ones on him. And God consecrated Joshua. And listen to verse 7. The angel told Joshua, we're standing there, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and will perform my service, then you also govern my house and also have charged my courts. And I will grant you free access among these who are standing here. Where? Into God's presence. Where they can go into the holy place where God's presence was. Let me just tell you that unfortunately things like this are not taught a lot. There's some people out there that teach this and they're, they're awesome. There's even some people on TV like Perry Stone and others that that help people understand the deeper things. But a lot of this is not taught. And a lot of this is not practiced in the body of Christ. A lot of people go to church week in and week out and they're defiled. 
they're, they're oppressed in different areas of their life. And because of that, they have a hindrance coming into God's presence. They have a hindrance getting miracles and breakthroughs. And they don't see everything God has for them. But if somebody would help them to get their lives consecrated unto God, they could begin to move deeper into God's presence. And see the breakthroughs and see the miracles that God has for them. Remember what I was talking about earlier with Duncan Campbell, those men that were praying in the barn in Barvin, they were praying for revival, and they began to confess their sins and really repent and really get things right with God. And the Spirit of God broke out there. And Duncan Campbell said, I don't just believe it was prayer and fasting alone, but it was a group of people that were willing to consecrate their lives unto God and be holy. And it was those people that saw revival break out. So it's not just enough to pray and fast, but it has to also be con- combined with the fact that we're willing, willing to be cleansed before God and be a holy people. But the Bible says our sins have separated us from him. Even though he would hear us, it's because of the sins in people's lives that hinder their prayers from being answered. So what I'm getting at is this. Next week, we're going to have a special night to really consecrate our lives. We're going to spend some time at the communion table. We'll, we'll have a little word. I'm going to explain more about water immersion because a lot of people don't know a lot about it. But I'm going to explain the power of immersion. It's not just some dead ritual. There's more to it than that. It's powerful. And we're going to go through, and I'm going to anoint everybody and pray over you. And I'm going to believe God to deeply consecrate you. We've come out of this time of 21 days of prayer and fasting as a church. And I'm assuming that everybody's been praying and really dealing with stuff in your life. Let God show you during the rest of this fast if there's any sin or anything to deal with. Let there be a cleansing. And then at the end of the service, we're going to have a time of water immersion for everybody that wants to. And God's going to deeply consecrate you. But see, here's the thing. The two things that we need to understand, the reason why my wife and I made that deliverance questionnaire was to help people to really examine your life and get cleansed. That's important. But also these times like this of prayer, fasting, and consecrating our lives is very important. And what will happen is God will deeply consecrate you. Now, if you haven't ever gone through the deliverance questionnaire and you've never really prayed about a lot of things, there may still be some hindrances. But next week, God is going to consecrate and cleanse people. And what will happen is you'll be set free from things that used to oppress you. You'll be able to go deeper into God's presence than you've been. And God will really do a work in your life. I'm saying this from experience. Our priestly garments. Number one, the white linen garments. I know that you can't see them very well on there. But if you want to look back here in the back, there's that priestly garments there. Okay, you can follow there. But the white linen garments on the head, there was these pajama bottoms like they were called the breeches that were underneath. You can't see them. And then there was a white robe that went down to the ankles, down to um, the wrist. This layer of white is the garments of salvation and the robe of righteousness. I believe, unfortunately, that many in the body of Christ still have a lot of dirty spots on their garments. Things from their past, things that, that if even things that have trafficked down bloodlines have not been dealt with, it's really oppressing people, and there's a defilement, and their garments are defiled. But the Lord wants, like Joshua, he wants to take those old dirty garments off and give you clean garments, okay? He wants to purify. When the Lord comes, he says he's coming for a bride that's made herself ready without spot or blemish. The garments have been cleansed. So this is the... the 
the head area, the turban, is a mind, a thought life that's holy. The robe of righteousness, the garments of salvation, the breeches to cover the shameful nakedness, that you're made righteous. But it's not just that. But now you go beyond that, and there's a baptism in the Holy Spirit. Some of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Until you're really baptized in the Holy Spirit, things are not going to be the fullness of what they could be in your life as, as a Christian. Once somebody gets baptized in the Holy Spirit, they're filled with the Spirit, they can begin to go in the deeper things of God. They begin to operate in the gifts. Derek Prince said this, and I really believe it to be true. He said, once a believer is baptized in the Holy Spirit, that's when they really begin to enter into the supernatural of Christianity. That's true, isn't it? You begin to operate in the gifts. You begin to be able to pray for the sick and see them heal like never before. And it's easier to get people delivered from the demonic. And there's, there's an infilling and there's a clothing of power that comes with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's the blue garments. You can see the blue ephod. The blue ephod, it was reinforced in the neck area where it could not be torn. And this was because God does not want us to grieve the Holy Spirit. And there was bells and pomegranates around the bottom which represent the fruit and the gifts of the Spirit. And God wants us clothed with power. How many agree with that? God wants us to be really clothed with power. And Jesus said in Acts 1.8 that once the Spirit of God comes upon you in power, then you'll be my witnesses. You know what? It concerns me to think that there would be so many people that, yeah, they may have a robe of righteousness, but they have no real power in their life. We need the power to overcome sin. We need the power to overcome the devil in these last days. And to really walk in victory, we need to be clothed with power from on high. And this is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then the golden vest, you see there, the golden ephod, which was the third layer. It was just like a vest, and it had like a little belt, a sash that you could tie. And around the heart, there was a breastplate that had the 12 tribes of Israel. And this golden vest represents the glory. Remember how the scriptures in Isaiah rise and shine for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. The glory of the Lord is his weighty, awesome, manifest presence that comes upon his people. Some of you guys have experienced this tremendously in River of Life. I know that I have. The Chabad in Hebrew is the weighty, heavy presence of God. Many times in prayer, you can feel the glory come upon you. There's a weight of God's presence. And the Shekinah, the shining. And the the glory of the Lord also is seen in Scripture like a cloud. But the glory will come in, and it's that atmosphere of the glory. See, God is wanting us to be priests to where we're righteous and we're clean before him. We have the power of God in our lives, but we also have the glory of God functioning in our lives. And like priests, we can minister to other people and help them by the power of the Holy Spirit and the glorious atmosphere of his presence. See them really get right with God. See them healed of things. See them delivered of things. But that can only happen by the power of God. Listen, there's not enough counseling in the world to change a lot of people's lives. All that is is putting a Band-Aid on things. But when the Lord comes in power and his glory comes in, that's when people start getting healed in the roots and God begins to really deeply consecrate people, heal people, and deliver people. And he'll convict of the sin. He'll show us the things that's been holding people back. This is how God is wanting us to function now in the New Testament. What they had in the natural, we have in the spiritual. 
I want to be clothed in righteousness, but I also want to be clothed in power to do what Jesus did. Acts 10.38 says how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went around doing good, healing all oppressed of the devil. And when, God sent, when Jesus sent us out, he sent us out to do what he did. And think about it for a minute. It's in Mark 16, 17, 18, 19, it talked about how the apostles went around and they preached everywhere and the Lord worked with them with signs that accompanied them. What? They were laying hands on the sick and they recovered. They were casting demons out. They were speaking in new tongues. They were operating in the power of God. And God is wanting us to do that and to be able to be carriers of his presence, his glory. But to do all of that, to be true priest unto God and function in the supernatural like we need to, we're going to have to be a holy people. Our garments have got to be cleansed. We've got to, have ves- we've got to be vessels of honor that God has deeply purged. So whenever you understand, when we're taking communion here together, We're not just going through some dead religious ritual. I think most people understand this. We're really consecrating our lives unto God. And that's why one of the things that concerns me sometimes is um, I hope that everybody is here taking communion with us because I realize the power of that and how much it affects you. But see, we're bringing our lives under the blood. We're confessing anything we need to. And the blood of Jesus is just being applied fresh to our lives. There's a deep consecration. Secondly, Whenever we minister in the altar time, we're praying over people many times, maybe not every time, but many times, I'll try to anoint and pray for people and anoint you with oil because like Exodus 40, you're now the temple. And Moses anointed that temple and God filled that temple with his glory, his presence. And I believe in God that whenever we anoint you and set you apart and pray over you, that God is helping to set you apart as holy so that his glory can begin to fill your life like never before. And also, a couple times a year, when we have these times before the springtime, like with Passover, and then before the fall, we have a time where we set ourselves apart and we begin to pray and fast together. And I encourage people to, you know, let it be a time that you give unto God, but also that you consecrate your lives. Anything that's not right, that you really repent and get it right. And as we do that, and people come, And my wife and I immerse people in water, and I'll explain more about this next week. It is awesome, powerful, because you're consecrating your life. You're asking God to cleanse you, to become a vessel of honor. And look back at that picture with the three circles. Do you really want to live your life like that middle circle where you're in limbo? Yes, you're saved, but you still got a lot of stuff. Do you really want to live your whole life that way? Where it seems like it's difficult to really function in the power of God. It seems like it's difficult to pray. It seems like it's difficult to really get into God's presence and receive. And you're just kind of in this limbo where, yeah, you're going to heaven. If you die, you've accepted the Lord. But you're not really a vessel of honor. I don't want to live that way. I want my life to become that vessel of honor deeply consecrated. I believe many Christians out there are defiled. And I believe in God through River of Life to help get this revelation out there. That's one of the things, and I close with this, but that's one of the things that has really completely, radically transformed my wife's life, as many of you know her testimony. And because of having a family that was in Satanism and witchcraft and the things that she endured and she was abused and she was ritualistically abused and she went through a lot. And because of all that, when she came to know Jesus years later at the age of 29, 
Uh, she had a lot of defilement and a lot of baggage in her past, and her whole family did. We don't know of anybody in her family line, and we've looked it up. We don't know of anybody that was a Christian. We know that up the line there was Mormons and stuff, but there wasn't any Christians. And she might have very well been the first one to truly accept Jesus Christ. Think about that. And think about how ticked off the devil was at the fact that she was a witch and she was a servant of his, and so were her parents, and that she was now a defector out of that and serving his enemy. And the pastor that mentored her, Brother Holt, anybody that knows him just loves that man. Seriously, he's one of the the nicest guys, and he's powerful in God too. But he mentored her, and he he helped her as much as he could, but he didn't know as much about that realm of deliverance, and he told her that. But he was the one that helped her to really get baptized in the Holy Ghost and fire, and he was the one that water baptized her, and he he helped her to really get her life cleaned up. And um, he was really instrumental, honestly, in her and I getting married, and he felt it was God. He put the thought in my mind, you know, it really was. That's how it happened. And he prayed over me, and he felt there was a transference of the uh, mantle, if you will, for me to take care of her. And um, anyway, and so I've had to help her, you know, get consecrated. All right, but Lord, we thank you for tonight, and I just pray that you would help your people, Lord, to get deeply consecrated. Because I know, Lord, the importance of it. Sandy wouldn't be able to be free today, Lord, if it wasn't for these things. And I know that. I know that she had to be cleansed. She had to be consecrated from the past. Lord, she had to be delivered of that stuff. And, Lord, I pray for your people, Lord, that you'd set them free and cleanse them like you've done for her. And to see her now free and serving the Lord and being able to be used of God and go preach. People have no idea, no idea how much of a miracle that really is. I know behind the scenes what she's faced and what I faced. But, Lord, I thank you for setting her free. And I pray, Lord, that you would do that through River of Life to many others. Lord, cleanse them. Lord, heal them from their past. Deliver them. Set them free. Bring breakthroughs. In Jesus' name, let it come. Great breakthroughs. That was some of the things that I had to help her with was getting her water immersed and, and taking communion with her and going through and really praying about all the junk she was put through and anointing her with oil. But today she's victorious. All the power of that garbage is gone. You guys, trust me, you have no idea what I've been through. No idea. You have no idea what she's been through, but especially me, because once I was her authority, they were after me. You have no idea. But God has given us the victory. And where she used to be attacked and tormented, God has totally set that woman free. How many knows when Jesus died on the cross, it was enough. It was the full victory over everything of the devil. And her life reflects that. So what I want to do tonight, I'm going to pray for people who want prayer. God is really breaking through some things. Let's go ahead and shut down recordings. Here in River of Life, we're in these 21 days of fasting. We've gone a, a couple weeks into it, 14 days or so. And God is really breaking through the darkness. I'm telling you, this is the time for breakthroughs. Things that's been set up against revival and set up against souls being saved. In the spirit realm, these strongholds are coming down. And God is breaking through the darkness. He's shattering strongholds. He's setting people free. And God is really deeply consecrating a group here in River of Life that will yield to that, and most will. God's consecrating you because he's wanting to use you 
one day in great power, but to be a vessel of honor and to be somebody that's going to be used in a significant way, we have to cleanse our lives. We have to let God deal with the stuff. We have to let God lay the axe to the root and break through this darkness and set people totally free and cleanse them and heal them and get them to a place where they can be usable. Is anybody hearing this? I'm saying this by the Spirit, and I feel it. God is preparing a group for a significant move of God and a supernatural harvest that's a lot bigger.